Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today can only be described as an international man of mystery. <laughs> Welcome, Tom. You, you did bring it in. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> I've been waiting for this invite for years. And I've now been, you have it. I've been laying the groundwork. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Subtly uh, suggesting your own invitation. Yes. <laughs> so the joke here is I said, Tom, let's do a podcast to, to you and your brother, who I recorded with previously, and now it's your turn. And I asked you both for your bios so that I can prepare a lovely intro. <laughs> and he sends me one, very nice, several paragraphs, kind of his life story arc with what he's currently doing. And you send me back. Tom is an international man of mystery, so we're going with that. <laughs> All right. Mr. International. Okay, okay. All right, here's the official intro. Tom Dadon was born in Israel but moved to Southern California as a little baby. He grew up in Southern California until the ripe age of 13 when his family moved back to Israel. After high school, you served in the Army in Israel, like many do in the IDF, and you became a tank commander. Why did you pick tanks? Uh, I was actually, uh, I was slated, not exactly slated, but I was in a trajectory to go to the Navy, uh, to submarines and I was doing all the testing to go into that. And then I met with a couple of friends and I'm like, what are you crazy? <laughs> You're going to be locked in a you know, under the water for a month at a time. Don't do that. That's a terrible idea. So, do they know, or were they former Navy people? No, nope, no, nope. the people were just talking out of you know, out of their tuchus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I did the second hatest thing in the IDF, which is go to tanks. <laughs> uh, everyone, it's not a very sought after position. Basically, if you go to the army and say, "Hey, I want to go to to be in a tank," they're going to put you in a tank because no one else wants to be in a tank. Um, that was actually uh, was recommended by. Uh, a friend of mine who was in, in the tank division at the time, he's like, listen, it's awesome. It's got a bad rap, but it's a lot of fun. Um, I definitely recommend it. So that's what I did. So tank. So I'm going to ask you more about your tank commander career a bit later. Let's continue with your intro. After the Army, so you, uh, anyone that doesn't know, uh, military service in Israel is mandatory. You graduate high school, you go right into, into the Army. You serve, males serve for three years. I think at a minimum at a minimum are, are females two years, two years, two years. Uh, and then after the army, it's like, it's different than in the United States where you go to high school and then college and you find right. yourself in college in a way right. here, you really grow up in the army, but then you spend some time after really kind of finding yourself and exploring right. who right. you are. So after the army, you ventured back to the lovely United States. Is that accurate so far? After the army, my plan was, uh, well, the, the normal, life trajectory in Israel is, you know, you do your high school, you get drafted into the army, you do your three years or four, however, however long you do it. Um, let's say you do the minimum three years. Uh, 
you get discharged from the army, you spend about a year working at whatever job you want to do. You get discharged at, at around age 21, you work for about a year, save up some money, then you go travel, uh, South America, Asia, those are the big spots, like Thailand and India are big, um, South America is huge. You go travel a little bit, see the world, and then you come back and you go to college. So normally males in Israel start college around age 24. So there's no really finding yourself in college. That's already kind of yeah. done. You're more mature when you start college. You know what you want to do for the most part. Um, so I I, uh, I finished the my military service, and then my dad had just opened up a new business. I went and I helped him for about a year. I worked for him and, and helped him. Basically, really uh, build a solid foundation in Israel. In Israel, what, uh, what was the business? He was importing from Germany, from Italy. Sorry, he was importing um, basically plumbing fixtures from Italy and uh, wholesaling them in Israel. I imagine like leather plumbing fixtures, very <laughs> beautifully crafted. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> beautifully crafted, and uh, I don't want to go too stereotypical. <laughs> um, Helped him, helped him build a foundation, get a good client base, get his, his business in order. And then um, my plan was to come to the States for work for about six months, then go travel to South America for another six months, and then go to college in Israel. And got here. I did the Israeli thing, you know, kiosks, malls, retail, stuff like that. Um, met another uh, friend. We partnered up. We just flew to Minnesota. We opened some retail there, and basically, I got stuck. Never, never traveled. Never did the the South America. I mean, you did get to Minnesota. I did, I did travel to Minnesota. <laughs> Nicest people in the world. Um. Uh, so, how old are you at this time? Twenty three. Okay. So, opened up my first business at twenty three. Retail. I was in Minnesota for about a year. Um. My sister finished high school. She came to work here. My brother finished his military service. Called him up and said, "Hey, come, come to the come to the states. Come, come work with me." Um, we did that for a little bit of time, and then in Jan mid January of twenty two thousand and eight, we came to Vegas as kind of like a staging ground because I had an aunt who were like, "We don't want to live in Minnesota anymore. The winters are bad, but that's not actually what I hated about me. I didn't like the the summers were terrible for me." very humid, lots of mosquitoes, uh, left Minnesota, came to Vegas as a staging man, kind of like to find figure out what we're going to do. Um, my brother started working for a moving company here. I went to work for a construction company. This was 2008. Recession's terrible. Uh, just, ju just not really terrible. It's actually just kicking off, but no work for me. So I, I went to go work with him at a moving company. We did that for about a year, and then we opened our own, and the rest is history. So first he came to work with you, and then you went to work with him. Correct. And you guys started working together. So that was, you said, uh, you made your way to Vegas 2008. So your aunt was here, and that's what yeah. that was sort of your anchor? Correct. All right. So over the last 14, I'm going to finish the intro. The last 14, <laughs> 15 years, you and your family grew triple seven movers from the back of a truck to operating in three cities, launching a trucking division with 30 trucks. Do you have 100 employees total, or is that just for the trucking division? Uh, the three different moving branches have about a hundred employees total. Got it. Uh, 
So you have a moving company, you have a trucking division, and just for fun, you guys then went and started an HVAC company and acquired a couple of companies, if I understand it all correctly. And oh, by the way, in your spare time, you guys dabble in real estate investing. Like every good Jew, yes. Yeah, did I miss anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. We're we're, we're uh, planning on opening uh, another branch in Texas for the moving this year company. for the moving company. Um, see how the housing market and economy goes, but Texas is... Uh, the next on the on the on the bucket list. Great. So, officially welcome. Thank you. Is there anything else in your intro that we didn't cover that we need to cover? Happily married to my wife Daniela, three beautiful kids. I have uh, my oldest uh, daughter's uh, Ella, and I have two more sons, Nathan and Gabriel, and uh, that's about it. You have a daughter and two sons. Correct. What are their ages? Uh, Ella is turning nine in April. Nathan's turning seven in April, and Gabriel will be three in July. So nine, seven, and three. Yeah. And how are their personalities? Who do they take after? <clears throat> what surprises you about these little people in your household? So not to be. <laughs> You know, gender stereotypical, but it's amazing to see how the difference between my daughter and the two. It may also be because she's the oldest and she's like the mom of, the, of them. But my daughter is very responsible, loves her schoolwork, loves reading. Um, you know, she's going to be like mad smart, like very, very smart. Uh, not to say that my other two boys aren't. <laughs> but they're more wild. Like Nathan's all about like playing soccer. That's all he wants to do. He wants to go play soccer all day long. Gabriel, my three-year-old, he's. So at three, at three, does the personality already start to present itself or is there more time? Do you think before? No, I mean, he's two and a half now and he's the more, but they also, he's also in his terrible twos right now. Um, they do say this about like the third child where they're always looking for more attention, but he gets the most attention out of all of them. So I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's true, <laughs> but uh, he's, he's the most aggressive. Like, <laughs> like he beats up his two older siblings. <laughs> um, that's funny. Yeah. And then he's like, he's, yeah, they, they, my older two children walk around in fear of him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. He's got a tight grip on the, on yeah. the family unit. Exactly. Very he's cool. The, he's the boss. Uh, I'm going to jump right in. This show is called Takeaways, and it's about takeaways, people who have influenced me. You've influenced me in many ways, which we'll talk about, but I'd like to ask you, what has been the single biggest thing or event in your life that has defined or shaped you the most? I'd have to say my military service. Um. It's taught me, taught me a lot, taught me a lot about uh, inner strength, endurance, leadership, um, perspective. We, we can get into more detail if you'd like, but like, I would definitely say um, military service first as a regular soldier and then as a tank commander um, with soldiers under my um soldiers under my command where I was responsible for them in combat situations and uh, definitely definitely the, the, the biggest influence on my life. 
I think. So I could see where, you know, a three-year experience like that is very influential. Is there, is there like one or two things, maybe an event, a story that really jumps out where you think, where you think about from time to time, like, wow, that was a serious influence on my life. So probably at, at, and at the time you don't really, you know, when you're in it, you don't really pay attention, but like looking back, uh, it gives you a, a new way of looking at things. Um, command tank commander school was probably big for me. Uh, I remember I had, um, a very strict instructor. We were, we were separated into teams. Basically each instructor, a tank is comprised of four people. So each team in the tank commander school is also four people. You have the instructor and then you have three, uh, students, um, and our commander always was always like, uh, the guy in charge of us, I don't know the English term of it. He wasn't, I mean, in terms of rank, he was, he was a Lieutenant. No, it wasn't even, the, um, no, in, in terms of rank, he was a Sergeant, but he was a tank commander. So I'm just going to use the word commander. Uh, our commander was, uh, I mean, he was always a, 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 his attitude was like always, this is what we got to do. Let's go do it. Very positive. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Yada, yada, yada. And our tank was just a lemon. <laughs> our specific tank, there were about 20 tanks in, in, in the school and we were all in other teams. The one that we were assigned, nothing worked ever. Now, our tanks were built, I, this was 2000? The year 2000? Uh, no. This is 2002. This is 2002. And uh, our tanks were, they're Israeli tanks. They're Merkava. Um, cla- uh, the, the Merkava is number two. Now the, the, the newest one is uh, Mark IV, but ours was Mark II. Um, originally designed in the mid to late 80s. So they're older, older, older vehicles and this one just <laughs> nothing worked like we literally spent half our time fixing things because i don't know how it goes in the american military but in the israeli military um the tank crew also repair does a lot of the repairs on their own because you have to learn how to do it because if you're stuck in the middle of the desert the broken tank you got to know how to make repairs so we were we spent half like we would do a drill all the teams would spend you know 30 minutes on the tank getting it back in order and then go get some food and get some rest. And we were there till for another four five, six hours just working on it. But he never complained ever. You know, he was, you know, the, he was just like, listen, this is, we got to do what we got to do. We got to make it work. And, um, you know, when I was his pupil, it was just like, all right, well, I guess he's just a really positive guy. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do? You got to listen to him and, and do what he says. But then afterwards when school was over and like the, the distance was broken and we're like, you know, now, I'm not your pupil anymore. Now we were colleagues and whatever. Like he was miserable <laughs> the entire time, <laughs> like the entire time, the entire period he was miserable. And that made me think like, wow, like I could not tell, you know, I was, ne- I, it was, it was impossible for me to, to, to tell that from his attitude and uh big, big leadership lesson. Like when you, when I, and that, I took that with me when I had my own tank and my own crew and, 
that was that was like the biggest leadership lesson that I took from him was like, listen, when you're a, when you're a leader, when you're in a, a position of of command or, or a decision maker, like you can, it's always lateral, right? You can complain and you can bitch and moan with the people who are like your level, but anyone who takes instructions from you, they you, they can never hear you complain, and that's something that I've taken ever since, and I just uh, I don't know it's worked for me. That's good. Um, so when Itai was on, I mentioned to him, like when I think about the two of you, the term like-minded comes to mind and like-minded in the following like-minded religion, nationality with both dual identities. Are you talking about me and Itai or like me and you and he, like the, the three well, of us? Certainly me and you and, and me and him and right. Okay. You, you two are very like-minded, <laughs> not just brothers, but, uh, business partners and, at one point, you lived in the same neighborhood until he moved away. Yes. I mean, very close. But, but you know, I grew up in Las Vegas, uh, first-generation American, born to two Israelis. And in 1980, when I was born, there weren't very many Israelis in town. There were some, but there weren't very many. Now there's a lot more. And over the years, we, we got into some of this and like IAC – and what that organization serves. But over the years, as the Israeli population in America has grown, there's all this nuance that's presented. You know, it's not just Jews are in America because their um, grandparents came through Ellis Island and they figured out where to settle. It's Israelis are coming here mm -hmm. now, present day, and there's this dual identity thing. Right? Are you American Jewish? Are you Jewish American? Are you Israeli Jewish American? Are you Israeli American? There's all this kind of like... How do you identify on a spectrum? Right. But back to the the like-minded, it's we're both Jewish, that's our religion, our nationalities while you were born in Israel and and moved to the states. I was born here to Israeli parents. There's still this sort of my name is Chaim Mizrahi. I never changed it growing up to Ryan or Mike, although that would have been a lot easier. <laughs> People have to like go through the the wrestling match of say it again, Chaim. Yeah. How do you spell that? H-A-Y-I-M. Oh, what is that? Well, it's Hebrew. It means life. Like, not every time I introduce myself, but much easier to be Tom growing up in America. I had no problem. My brother I don't know had how a, you got so lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My I had no problems. My brother had issues growing up with his name, but yeah, yeah mine was easy. He what do they like say to him? What have they what have you heard over the years? He gets Italy. Italy like because it's like yeah. a country, Italy. Uh Ite, Ite, Itai. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I tie. He's, he's just he's, yeah. He's just been calling himself Ty lately. Like my name's Ty. Really? Yeah. He just forgets the it's e. So much easier. Beginning. Or my sister Lior. Um, she always introduces herself. Hey, my name is Lior. Like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, but with an L in the, in the in the beginning. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um. So that the nationality, the dual identity, family. You have three kids. I have three kids. We both prioritize our families. Community involvement. We're both involved in. More than one organization, but not just, you know, here's some money or some dues. Yeah. We are actively involved. We put our time, energy, and effort into them. We're both business owners. We're both real estate investors. Uh, with Itai, I talked about fitness. I'll talk about it a little less with you, but we're still kind of in that same, uh, in the same boat as far as the fitness challenges and aspirations that we have at <laughs> our current age group. Uh, but also barbecuing and smoking, which we're, we have a whole takeaways on that one. 
I'm a, I'm a little more uh, enthusiastic to speak about that in the fitness <laughs> at, the, at the moment. <laughs> kind of been letting myself go lately. Fair enough. I'll let you <laughs> off the hook. So when you think about that whole presentation of like-mindedness, what's your sure. reaction? Um, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I definitely agree. Like, yes, we have, we do have a lot of uh, common in interests, common themes, common like uh, backgrounds. Um, the identity thing is big, even within the Israeli community. Like you said, there's a lot of nuance. Um, you know, how you define yourself, like what your goals are, um, and it changes, right? Like the way I my my, my like mindedness now is very different from when I was, you know pre-children and pre-family and it evolves as you go like you know now i'm i'm much more i'm i care a lot more about building a community 10 years ago i really didn't you know so i don't know I, I don't think i answered your question very well, yeah, no, I, well the <laughs> um, answer is maybe, the answer maybe def- if you want to like direct me a little bit more and no i just wanted to throw that out there so okay. what your thoughts were I think it's fascinating that, like what you talked about, we grow and evolve as people. Right. And then to find ourselves growing and evolving at this point, when did we we really connect? It was when you guys were, what, it was like 2016, 17 maybe? Because then shortly after you moved us into our building here, and that was 2018. So it was a couple right. years before when you and Itai came to our old office to talk to our commercial right. real estate sales agents right. about your moving services. Right. And I think we had we known each other a little bit, yeah, before through the that. school, probably. Well, that was... I mean, our daughters are the same same class. Were they already in class back then, in the same classes? No, in 2016... I have to really think about she, grades. Well, what grade were they in? 2016, they basically probably just started. They were in the baby yeah. bears. The baby Maybe, bears. <laughs> yeah, the baby bears. Um, I remember the uh, green caterpillars. That was Lily. That was not Ava. It may have been through something from the Jewish Federation. Yeah. Well, I have you in my contacts still from Hudson Real Estate. So I don't know when, when you were at Hudson Real Estate. Oh, wow. This is. So at one point we met through the community, I imagine, but we really didn't connect. Hudson Real Estate is like 2015-ish, 2016. So it was just before then then. Yeah. And so you then said, hey, here's an opportunity to come into my company and talk to our right. agents about your services. Ultimately, our company hired your company to move us into our new building. New building, and it was fantastic. Thank you. Seamless. Thank you. Service was over the top. I'm not even kidding. You guys, I'll tell you what you did. You gave us those blue bins for an extended period of time, so right. we can start packing things. Yeah, we and do that. We do that with commercial. Yeah, commercial that was so projects. nice of you, by the way. Oh, and welcome. since then, you've moved us out of our house while we were renovating. And as we're talking, you're going to be moving us back into our house now that the renovation's done. As we speak. As we speak. <laughs> Literally, as we speak. Uh, but now we find ourselves here like mid-30s after all the evolution that you have from uh, you know young 20s to a mid-30s person where you're establishing yourself. Right. And it's like you find somebody out of the community that's like looking into a mirror, so to speak. Right. On not just one or two things. It's not like we're professional colleagues and then we sort of build from there. Right. It's religious, national identity, family values, community involvement, business ownership, real estate, hobbies, hobbies, 
<laughs> Very nice uh, category. So yeah. to me, that's just correct. When I was preparing, this was just a fascinating observation. Yeah, it's uh, you know I think people just kind of like drift towards like like mindedness, like you said. You know, I mean, there's I mean there's the the the, the, the WhatsApp chat group with you know 150 dads in the school, and I mean not everyone connects, you know, and and it, it, you know. As your children are born, your 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 friend friends group change. You know, as you become basically, you're you're like you're you you become more engrossed in the community. Like, hey, all right, we're taking our daughters on play dates. We got to meet these parents, right? And then there's the parents that it's like you 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 know you try once, you try twice. It doesn't really it doesn't work. <laughs> what are the conversations like with you and Daniela after the first couple of play dates? With who? about the other parents, I mean, like, it, it, I don't need to do that one anymore. Yeah, it's like uh, I'm not. Next time we're just dropping her off. Yeah. <laughs> or like, wow, they're really nice people. Yeah, that's funny. That's a whole. It, it just seems a lot of you know when when it seems forced, it's not natural. It's a uh, yeah. it's natural. Yeah. All right, let's talk more about you. Okay, your favorite topic. Okay, I got a few. So again, when I put these things together, things okay. bubble up. That right. was one of the things that bubbled up. Another thing that bubbled up when I thought about you, and it was a cool contrast. Like, you are so similar to your brother, okay. obviously, but you're like, what is different? Okay. And one thing I observe about you that's different: the term wayfinder <laughs> comes to mind. And I'll give you some more examples. Okay. So my wife buys me a smoker for Father's Day, 2019. I have to figure out how to learn. I need to learn how to use this thing. Right. And I think it might have been Ty that said, oh, talk to Tom. He's so happy to tell you about it. <laughs> and he like, I don't feel like he just, you know, sloughed me off on you. I feel like he said that because he believes. You, I would be a better you, resource. Not even. A, yeah, for sure that. <laughs> but you would enjoy talking did, yeah. me through it. So there's a sense of like you found the way on the smokers. Right. And now you would enjoy helping me find my way. And I. For a week, it was literally a week, at least four, if not five full days where I'm on the phone with you several times. Okay. I did this. Now what? I did this. Now what? You're like, do this and then watch this YouTube video. Right. Now do this. And then I called you in a panic because I couldn't get the cooker up to temp. We ruined your wife's blower. You're like, all right, I'll tell you what to do. Go get your wife's hair blower and and blow it into the what is it called the the, the air the, the air exhaust, intake the intake to get air in there so the coals get hot so the temperature increases. So right. I'm I'm there like a schmuck <laughs> leaning down like my back is like spraining <laughs> and I'm blowing air and it's like it was it's a small uh, Weber smoky mountain. right it was and it was like, one of the smaller models in retrospect it was like. The brisket was too big for that. The, and the brisket I put on it was way too big. It's not meant for what I was trying to do. Right. However, it's maybe from your tank commander days. It's here's how you tinker with it right. and fix it. But for four to five full days and the day of, and I'm calling you and I feel bad. And you're like, no, call me back anytime. It's great. Yeah. So that was one example. Another example in a chat group or you coordinated one, you said, hey, I want to take my kids to this monster truck thing at Thomas right. and Mac. If you're in, you're in. Let me know. Here's the dates. Here's the ticket prices. Uh, we're ordering uh, earmuffs for everybody. So I need to know if it's a boy, I'll get blue. If it's a girl, pink. How many do you want? This is the unit. You sent out a whole spreadsheet. <laughs> How many people were there? 
We had a whole suite. We, of we took a suite. Mac, we took a suite. We couldn't Mac. move inside the suite. I think we were like ten dads, seven or eight dads, seven, and like another fifteen kids, maybe. So all the kids took the seats in the front. We all stood in the back. If you right. can en- envision what a suite looks like at Thomas and Mac, and the counter in the back, you know, even even when we were there, you grab the menu. You're like, all right, I'm getting chicken fingers, hamburgers, duh, 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 per unit per kid. This should be enough. Here's what we're getting for us for the adults. Like you coordinated the whole thing as a right. way a wayfinder. But wait, there's more. Okay. So we found ourselves in a summit in Austin for this organization called IAC, right. Israel American Council. They have an annual summit. So we're there. And even there, you're like, all right, these are the dates that we're there. This is when we're going. Let me know when your flights are coming in. Well, one of our passions is barbecue. You're like, on uh, Thursday, we're going to La Tip. On Friday, we're La going barbecue. to La Barbecue. Excuse me, La Tip. <laughs> La Barbecue. We got Terry Black's. We got Franklin's on this day. We're going to or pre-order it. So that was another example you want me to keep going? I got one more. Well, you're, for, you're, you're, you're taking credit away from yourself. When we went to the, uh, the steakhouse, you took control of that situation with talking to the chef. That was a lot so of tell, fun. Tell me about that story. So. It was uh, Smith and Walensky. No, no. no uh, Which steakhouse then? Something oh, two. two you're sticks? talking about Austin. In Austin. What yeah. are you talking No, I'm talking about Austin. I was yeah, talking yeah. about when we went to Smith no, and Walensky. No, 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 no. I'm talking about Austin. So same summit. We went to the steakhouse. Right. Yeah. So we there's like a imagine there's a Vegas delegation. Two forks, I think. Two forks. Something forks. <laughs> something forks. Three forks. Something. I don't remember. There, there's a Vegas delegation in in Austin for this summit. So we have this entire hotel. I don't know if there's three thousand people for there for the summit. And like yeah. fifty from Las Vegas. I don't Basically, know if my we numbers up, are right. Took up the whole hotel. And so one of the nights, it's like we all need to figure out where we're having dinner. So I went to the concierge and I asked for some recommendations, and there was a steakhouse which was kind of like, ah, do we want a steakhouse? Because some people went the night before to a steakhouse and right. we want something. We originally had reservations Austin. at Capitol Grill. Yeah. And we're like, we don't want That wanna... night? Yeah, yeah, I think it was that. And yeah. like, we're like, we're trying to find something more local. Well, we have a Capitol Grill here. Yeah, Correct. So, yeah. So I had a recommendation from concierge. I made the reservation and then keep going. So there's 10 people, right? There's two yeah, tables. Mo- more than 10. It was you and I... Itai, my parents, Danielle and Stephanie. Yes. That's six at our table. And there was a bigger table behind us. Yeah. So we're like 15. 15 people. 15 people. Which to create a reservation for that many people is a logistical exercise. Yes. They want to send you to the banquets reservations manager, but it's, we're not that. We're just several buddies that want to eat together. Right. Or they want you to put your credit card reservation. And then when you're planning something like this, it's kind of like you get a head count, but the real commitment is when people actually walk through the door. Because <laughs> people say they're coming, and then they're not. And then they find a better plan yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. So we make the reservation. We have two tables at this Austin. We scooter the whole way there. We did scooter. Yeah. We, we, Austin's awesome. It has on the Lime scooters. On the Lime scooters. downtown the Austin. Lime and Bird scooters, yeah. Downtown Austin. We get, to the re- we get to the hotel, the restaurant. We walk in. Super nice people. The servers were very friendly. Very good menu. And um, one of the toppings you can order for a steak, what did they call it? It's like a butter. A King's sort. butter. King's butter. King's butter, they called it, right? And we're trying to figure out what this butter is because <laughs> it's heavenly. It's, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, <laughs> so I'm like, just call the chef over. I'm like, I'm not going to call the chef. He's like, no, just call the chef. 
Like, I, I mean, I don't have a lot of shame, but I'm, I mean, I'm sure the guy's busy right now. So Chaim waves down the server. She's like, hey, what's in the king's butter? She's like, I can't, I don't really he know. He gave us an answer, but it was not satisfactory. No, no, it was, it was clear, like, like, it was like this butter, some seasoning, yeah. and he doesn't know. And Chaim's like, can you call the chef over? And the server, she's, no, it was a, it was a female server. And she's like, no, I don't really think I can. <laughs> chef is busy. She's yeah. chef is busy. And Chaim's like, no, no, no. I know just he's t- busy. Just tell him I know he's busy, but I'd really like, it's a, everything's amazing. We're not going to complain. I would really, really love to know what's in here. Chef comes in, <laughs> Chef comes out maybe 10 minutes later. Literally, like, it's not a he, nicest guy. Not even like, hey, what's your question? Let me get back to work. He, like, he pulls up a chair, sits down with us, tells us his, his life story, how he's worked at all these steakhouses. And um, are we allowed to tell, him this, tell the secret of what's in the butter? I don't remember, so we might as well. All I... Uh, Good, good. You could say what's in it, because then there was like a whole process of how you have to prepare it. That was really the the technique. All I remember is uh, is um, shallots, shallots, butter, salt, foie gras, foie gras. But it's it's raw, so he just blends it all up. Oh no, he did something to the foie gras before. No, no, no. He blends it up. He chopped it up and then he puts he warm it on a blender. It? No, no, no. When he puts and then he 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 makes like a like a compound butter out of it, puts it in the fridge. And then he slices like a circle, puts it on the steak, and then it broils. The, the foie gras boils along with the steak. It was, it was amazing. It was, it was. It was it, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was amazing. It, one of the better, <laughs> like, can compete with almost any steakhouse on, on the strip steakhouse that I've I've eaten at. So I, uh, with some friends, created this thing where we were going to steakhouses. That's what I thought you were talking about. Right. It was called Override. We'd go to a steakhouse, six people, me and two two buddies, and each of us would invite somebody. And we would just, we got to a point where wherever we went, we just ordered everything family style. Mm -hmm. Because one thing I've learned, not just from this experience, but also from whiskey or other things, it's one thing to to have a steak and say, wow, this is amazing. If it's a filet or a ribeye or a Wagyu or a Cajun rub or whatever, it's it's a whole different experience when you have like a- A flight. A flight, a flight correct. of states. and you can you can in real time compare. Right, this is interesting because of this, and it contrasts because of that. So that was the whole. And you find yourself tasting things that normally you wouldn't eat on a menu because you go to a steakhouse. You you like what you like. You're gonna right? get the ribeye. I, I mean, me. Yes. I don't know about you. I'm well, gonna get I, the ribeye. I've evolved from you yeah. know, you start out with a New York because it's the price conscious thing to do, but then right. you move up to the fillet because that's what everyone kind of grabbed but then when you begin, when you really get into the steak thing it's it's the ribeye right that's and how I, the the uh, what was it at smith and Walensky? It was a coffee rubbed fillet is that what they have yes like i would never order that and it's it was amazing. the best the best cut on their menu in my opinion it's outstanding yeah. and so you go enough of these and then you start doing this comparison across restaurants right and you know like a fillet is a fillet pretty much unless there's some coffee rub. special technique unless there's some special seasoning like a coffee rub. Right. Now, you know, at Smith and Walensky in Las Vegas at the Venetian Hotel, get the coffee rub steak. It 100%. is, it holds up across steakhouses. Yeah. And so this three, three forks or two forks or whatever it was called in Austin, this side, they had like a section on the menu of butters that you can order as an accompaniment. It wasn't just a butter. It was like, you know, a steak topper, you could do Oscar style butters, all kinds of, you know, Mush, whatever. And so that in and of itself, not every steakhouse has that. Right. 
So they did, but then they had this specific one, King's Butter, which was really <laughs> made for kings. Yeah. It's like, you will rem- I will remember that. Yeah. If I'll ever thing. go there again, that's like what I'm getting. I can't remember what else we had. Well, no, the, the dessert was pretty outstanding, no? Or am I thinking about somewhere else? Anyway, all I remember is the butter. King's Butter. That's literally all I remember. King's Butter. And that everything was good, but the King's Butter was, their, that was like their claim to fame, you know? Yeah. But you deflected. I was talking about you and how you're a wayfinder and you're trying to make this about me. (laughs) It's my show. We're going to talk about you. The last bit on this wayfinder thing, an observation that I picked up talking to your brother. In addition to you walking me through my first and every smoke since my first, (laughs) uh, the monster truck outing, the planning of Austin's barbecue scene, you left Israel as the first sibling, maybe because of your age, but you left, came to America, bounced around Los Angeles, Phoenix, Minnesota. Ultimately, you got your brother to come, your sister to come, your parents ended up coming. Right. My last sister. Your last sister. And so are you the wayfinder? I've never thought about it like that. Um, You know, as far as like, if we're talking about business partnership, like um, my father, by the way, I don't know if we mentioned this. My, my father's also a partner in, in our businesses with my brother and I. It wasn't just my brother and I that opened the, the company. My dad was in there as well. Uh, since then, he's retired, but he's still a, 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 an integral part of our, our companies. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You're kind of putting me on <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> Personally, okay. You're in the hot seat so under about the hot my, lights. Like I don't. And again, I have a light right here. I don't like being like my personality is I don't like being in the spotlight personally. Um, I'm I I'm more comfortable in a kind of like behind the scenes role, uh, directing, guiding. Um, how you roped me into the uh, the men's event chair? I don't know, but um, that's I'm a little bit more comfortable in in that role. But as far I do like to like have like a bird's eye view of things. And then when, when you do, when you, when you're able to like step back and like look from above at whether it's business or, or really anything else, it, it does make it easier to be a wayfinder as to see a path forward. Um, and when you're, when you're stuck in the, in the day-to-day grind and, and, and the minutia of, of your business, um, then that, that's all you have time for. Um, I am very, my, my, I am a very analytical person, um, so I do, I do like to fix things, you know, whether it's problems in business or relationships or, or whatever, and maybe like by, by doing that, I like, I, I, I blaze a, a trail forward, like, okay, this is broken, this is what we need to do, so that may contribute to your, your uh, nicknaming of uh, Wayfinder. <laughs> My discovery, yeah, and observation. You should trademark it. <laughs> no, I'm giving it to you. You can do whatever you want. Right. With it. T-shirts, <laughs> hats. When we open up our barbecue spot, we can call it Wayfinder. We'll call, oh, the, ooh, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go into the takeaways portion. Okay. Uh, so you, we'll go over several things. Uh, Tin Commander, or some odd jobs that you've done. I'm curious about, and we'll talk about some odd jobs that you and I. A specific odd job Ooh. that you and I found ourselves in when we were chaperoning for camp. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. 
uh, takeaways as a business owner. I'm really curious uh, to even narrow that down further as far as like takeaways of having a hundred employees. Okay. That seems like it's a, a benchmark, but that's uh, I'm helping you with the wayfinding part of the rest of this thing, but that that's where it's going to go. But let's go back to the tank commander part. You talked about in your tank commander school and your commander specifically, or the instructor at the time, how he never complained down. Right. And that was a life lesson for you. Yes. What did you have any combat experience? Was it not yes. that was it peaceful at the time or if it's you never did, peaceful. I'm curious. It's, to never, it. it's never peaceful. It's sometimes it's, it's always simmering. Sometimes it flares up, but it's never really peaceful, unfortunately, over there. Uh, I spent most of my service, um, the first year of service is all training. So you have, uh, you know, you've got f- first six months, six, seven, eight months is uh, basic training, boot camp. Uh, and then you're assigned a, a position in the tank. So I was assigned a gunner. You not immediately go to the tank commander school. So there's a gunner, a loader, uh, a driver, and a commander. And uh, so you do your, your, your basically your basic inf- infantry training, your boot camp, uh, and then your uh, your your beginner tank. Uh, so basically, where they treat they separate you into your position. So I was with a class full of gunners. And that's all, that's all the only people I was, you you didn't really learn to work in a team. It's just, you're a gunner. This, this is the job. And you spend a couple months learning that. And then after that, they integrate you with it into a team and you learn how to work as a team. That's another three, four months. And then another three, four months in tank commander school. So the first full year, just training. I spent most of my service in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. And so what is combat like when you said something, maybe it's simmering, maybe it's flaring. Well, there's day-to-day, when it's simmering, when everything's relatively calm, basically, as a, in tanks, you're just, uh, the Gaza Strip, we're not in the Gaza Strip anymore. Israel left the Gaza Strip in, I think, in 2006. So, uh, so we're not in the Gaza Strip anymore unless we need to do an incursion to, for whatever reason, need to go in and, and do an operation. But... Uh, the IDF is still very much in the West Bank, um, um, which includes uh, Judea and Samaria for the most part. Um, day to day, if there's nothing crazy going on, then you have your infantry soldiers uh, patrolling, doing check posts, you know, searching vehicles for well, suspects, so on and so forth. And as, as a tank, you mostly supply, provide cover for infantry. So you're there, uh, the infantry's on the ground, whether they're in an armored vehicle or, or out on the, uh, you know, patrolling by foot, and you're just there scanning for, uh, for threats um, day and night. Um, and then when there's operations, it's... Is it like an urban setting? It's, it's an urban setting. I, so I was in a 100% urban setting. I, my brother was actually in the Second Lebanese War, so he was in, you know... It's very mountainous, yeah. forested area, Lebanon. It's very, very different. But I was in my, my entire uh, combat experience was in urban environment, um, which just pro- it's different threats. So, so what does a gunner do in a tank? A gunner, a gunner is the guy that sits there. He's got his eye in the scope, and he's basically so you're like directing the turret in the tank. No, so I, I, I never actually was in combat as a gunner. For, uh, after training as gunner, I immediately went into combat school. And then I went back, uh, and then so my 
experience in, in the West Bank was as a, as a as commander. A commander. Yeah. Okay. So are you sitting in the tank or are um, you like outside? Most of the time, uh, again, if you're not under fire or you're not in an operation, you're just basically there providing cover and, and, and support and uh, you've got your head out. You've got your head out. You've got your, you know, you're either looking through your binoculars or, or scanning for threats near and far, um, and directing the rest of your team. So, and and again, like, the, so you're directing your whole team. So it's just crazy. I think a 19 year old, 20 year old is yeah sitting it, in a tank. It's very like looking back. Like the American military is very different. Like people join in later ages, so they're more mature. Allegedly. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's very different. Like, it's very, like, looking back, I'm like, I can't believe they put me in charge of that at 19 years old. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Like, uh, I wouldn't have done it, (laughs) you know, but there's no choice. That's just the way the the country is built. The whole system, the the culture of it, the training. Yeah, so the culture of it. like an 18-year-old and put him in a position after a year to be, a tank commander in an urban environment with rules and regulations and judgment that they have to exercise about when to act, when not to, when not to act. So here in high school, you know, you're an average senior in high school. Everyone's talking about what college they want to go to. Um, what, what they want to major in, what college they want to go to, if they want to take a year off in, in, uh, is this a family friendly podcast? Sure. So whatever you want. F around. <laughs> um, that's what you do in high school. In Israel, in high school, everyone talking about what unit in the army they want to get drafted into. That's just the culture because yeah. everyone knows it's going to happen. So it's just it's just part of life. It's part of living. You know, at eighteen, you're going to get drafted and figure it and out. And off you go. And off you go. And so, any any when you think back to the whole experience outside of the the ones that you shared, any takeaways yeah. that you've brought with you, brought forward, apply today. The it's hard to like put your finger on like one thing because it's just an entire experience that molds you, you know. Because there's a lot of uh, a lot of small steps. It's like, you know, it's like when you look back in life and you see you started at point A and now you're at point B. It's like, you know, how did you do that? It's like honestly, I don't know. It's just like I took one step and then I took another step and then it was just a bunch of little steps and it, it brought me here. It's like there's no like okay, you do this one thing, and it's going to get you to the promised land. You know, it's 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 a bunch of small decisions that just add up into the journey of how you got to where you are. Um, the biggest thing is perspective, because when I was when I from the military, I mean, anyone who's been in the military can tell you this: life sucks. For a, you're either. You're either wet <laughs> or you're tired. <laughs> Usually you're both, <laughs> especially if you're in the, you know, in the, in the, in the winter. And like the one thing my wife, like I'll fall asleep anywhere. Like I can fall, like right now, if you turn off these cameras and you leave the room for five minutes, I could fall asleep right here. And my wife is like astounded by that. And she's like, how do you fall asleep at any given moment? It's like, it's one thing you learn in the army is to fall asleep. all that. Like we would be doing like tank exercises and there's like, Five tanks just firing their heavy shells like ten feet away from me, and I'd be like, I'd be, I'd be out, right? And you're not waking me up. Um, but the, the perspectives, like your life's like when you're in the moment, it sucks, it's terrible. You're tired, you're miserable, you're cranky. It's just, it's not fun. 
But then, like a year after, like you look back fondly at those, like, oh, that was good times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that was great. <laughs> so. Let me use that as a segue to take you to another part part in your life that I'm curious about. When you also found yourself cold, okay, and I don't know if you were wet much, but you know, Itai shared the story that you're you call him, okay, and demanded he move to Minnesota to help him sell Healy's knockoffs, right, <laughs> inside of the Mall of America. Such a terrible decision, yeah. <laughs> How the heck so did I had you a, get to Minnesota of so all places in America? It was Mall of America, which is the biggest mall in the yeah. country. So it's like I was like, okay, I have an opportunity, Mall of America. If I, if you can make money anywhere, it'd be here, right? It, I'm 24 years old. What do I know? You know, I, I, I zero business education. <laughs> it's like I never went to college. It's like, come on. Um, so I had a friend who was selling them. It was, so when you say Healy knockoff, it's not like a shoe with a Healy that's a knockoff. It's like a little contraption that you like strap to the back of any shoe and it makes any shoe into a Healy. And I had a friend who was selling them in California and making boatloads of money. He was doing so well. And I'm like, hey, if you, you know, I'm in Mall of America. Like, if you're selling and making a lot of money, like, like, it's great. I could do it too. Again, I'm 24. I'm an idiot. Like, what do I know? I, 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 I couldn't put <laughs> one and one together to make two that he's in California, you know, in Orange County. The weather's beautiful. Everyone's going up and down the beach. It's a perfect environment for for these this product. I'm in Minnesota. No one's outside for six months of the year. It's snow. Like if, <laughs> if people shopping for their Christmas presents for their children are looking at this, it's like there's I cannot get I can't my child won't be able to use this until May. You know? So <laughs> so it was it was just a bad it was a bad business decision. Um, that taught me a lesson in life. You know, when you talk about takeaways, that taught me a lesson in life on, on like <laughs> market research. Uh, um, <laughs> that that we did not make money on, on that specific kiosk. We That's did not so make funny. money at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that. So then you moved to Las Vegas. It's a great recession. You're doing construction, but you're also doing odd jobs. What sort of odd jobs have you done? Maybe not just in that time, but throughout your life. That's how I met my wife, actually. Um. Uh, her dad needed like a handyman to do some stuff. And, you know, I did some work and, you know, they're, uh, they're Jewish as well. And it was kind of a setup. I, I worked for her dad for a little bit of time and did a couple things for him. And then her mom invited, uh, me, my brother and another friend, Tal to a Shabbat dinner at their house. And so we went and that's where I met her. And uh, originally she exchanged numbers with my friend, not with me. Not as like a date thing. It was like, hey, let's hang out, yeah. whatever, whatever. Um, I guess what's meant to be is meant to so, be. So one of the odd jobs was being a handyman for her dad? So her dad at the time had bought, you're familiar with the uh, the Meridian condominiums over there on Flamingo and Koval? Yes. Her dad bought a bunch of units over there, like upwards of 20-ish Right in like 2006, 2007. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch is right. But at the time, they were trying to convert them into like condo hotels. Mm-hmm. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. And then they had licensing issues and the whole thing. There was a, that whole development had a, a lot of lawsuits and it was a problem. But at the time, her father had like 20 upwards units in there and I was working, I was doing odd jobs and he's like, hey, I just got these, you know, 
three or four containers of furniture from wherever he bought them. I need, you know, two guys to spend a couple, you know, a week or two just basically unloading these containers into the units, putting the furniture together, setting them up, and basically making these these apartments into like a hotel environment. So me and Tal, that's what we did. And that's how um, we did that for, I don't know, maybe a month. And, uh, you know, and you got a you got a wonderful. I got wife a wife out of it, it, a wife and a family out of it. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got one over on her dad. Whatever he paid you, you got the better deal. Uh, yes, I did. <laughs> so you and I were chaperoning our our kids are in uh, a chapter of the Israeli Scouts here right. locally, and they had a winter camp. Mm-hmm. Where was it in uh, Mount, Mount Charleston? And like it was a little compound. Was it? It was like a comp. I mean, it was awesome. A, was, I had never cool. even seen this place. I've been up there plenty of times snowboarding, but it was like tucked away. So you turn left somewhere and you go into this compound. Right. And there's several There's like bungalows. Yeah. There's like bunks. So they had like boys' bunks and girls' bunks. There was like a rec room with like big open space mm-hmm. and a kitchen inside. And then there was the actual like the dining commons, the dining room with, the mess, with the, the mess hall. Right. With a full commercial kitchen in the back. <laughs> yeah. And they limited space. So they have select parents. They like pull pull names out of a straw and our mm-hmm. names got pulled. Right. You and me and I don't know how many. There's probably all in all twelve parents. I'm guessing somewhere on there. Maybe a little less, but yeah, maybe I, sounds about right. And this particular camp didn't have a staff for the kitchen, right? So we were the staff. That was yes. our job. They gave us a job. Yes, we were. We weren't really chaperoning. We were more. We were, we were staff. We were there. We were, to work. We were there to work. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a cu- unbeknownst to us, yes, it was not disclosed ahead it was of not. time. It was like, oh, by the way, by the way, I did a, I did chaperone in a previous camp with this Israeli scouts in big bear and the place we went to, they had a staff. Yeah. And so the parents job was really just to like hang out. You're there for an emergency basically because the, it's a youth led thing. And the youth are counselors for the, like the high school kids are counselors for the younger ones. And you're really not supposed to interfere. You're not supposed to interact with them at all and interact. And so here we are finding ourselves, us and several of the other parents, we are full blown. (laughs) Now, my first job in life that I can remember being paid for was at Burger King. Okay. So I have some training. Like I had to go get a health card, which you have to watch the videos around food safety and gloves and hair nets. None of that was happening. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah. Now, a lot of the parents are Israeli. Yeah. Israeli uh, born Americans now. And Israelis who spent maybe three, four, five years in America. Yes. Now. And they all went through the army. Right. Now, I don't know if in the army, if mess hall service is mandatory also. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. So every one of them presumably has had some experience inside of a commercial kitchen. For the most part. So two things. It's like I'm watching this group of parents where some of us. We've never other. met for the most part. Some you of and us, I, we don't know. Yeah. yeah. But like I'm familiar. Like you and I have like, we have a right. common hobby in cooking. So right. it's, a, it's different. No one else has that as far as we know. And some people were meeting for the first time. Right. Others, it's like, I know them because of drop off and pick up. That's yeah. the extent of what I know them. I've never been to their house. I've never been to my house. But here I'm watching like a dozen or so people come together. No one says much. A leader emerges in a way. Like uh, one guy I think who coordinated all the food was in a way the emerging, like he knew what needed to be served and how. Right. Everyone took a station. It was like, 
with very little instruction. People took front of house. People took back of house. There were two <laughs> tables set up. Right. This is where the food's going to go. Kids are going to come through that door. They're going to walk through here, pick up the food. When we need more chicken, you guys bring it from the kitchen. It was so seamless, so cohesive, and so little instruction. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it, 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 it may have come from the military. So I've never worked a kitchen. I've never worked. I've never worked in. in well, it's just food your personal before. hobby. Uh, yeah, I just love. I just love yeah. cooking. Yeah, uh, you're actually out of all the twelve people, you're the only one I knew. I knew zero of them at all. Not even. I couldn't. Write, I couldn't pick up out of a crowd. Um. A lot of this is also, when I was a kid, I did this in Israel. You know, within the home. No, 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 no. What I was mean? in a youth group like that. Oh, okay. Like I went to these camps as a child. I, you know, did you all, work in a kitchen. No, but you just worked with other other folks. No, no. As a, so, as a child, I, I did. I was in. The, so I, I, I knew from the child's perspective, but also like as a like a okay. So you're saying it's a youth led um, organization. So what that means is, you know, you're a scout for a, a certain period of time, but then when you're in high school, you like have a, a group of younger scouts and you're in charge of them. You become a counselor to you the become scouts. a counselor to the scouts and. Like in it, like here, America is very big on safety, so there's a lot of chaperones. In Israel, you go on one of these camps, and they take basically you know 500 kids, <laughs> stick them in a forest somewhere. There's maybe like three adults, maybe you know a best case scenario, and it's really up to these kids to figure it out. Um, so as a counselor in these organizations, like you, and I think it's great. Like I, I think like as it, it gives children responsibilities it, 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 it you know it gives kids an opportunity to rise to the occasion instead of being spoon-fed and and live in a bubble coddled and helicoptered correct correct yeah i mean literally like we were like 500 kids in this forest i i remember this vividly so you'd get to this for this bus would dump you off in this forest and there's maybe like three or four adults 300 children and there's like these piles of of lumber, right? Like lo- like long, maybe 20 foot pieces of like logs, logs. That's the word logs. And like, I know it's English as a second language. Yes. I'm happy to help. Thank I'm you. also officially <laughs> English as a second language. Um, <laughs> logs. Um, I was about to tell you in Hebrew and ask for you to translate it for, to me. That's so logs, too. That's and then too. you basically these kids just go, these grab these logs, and there's piles of rope, right? So you go take these logs, you tie them to trees, you build like tree houses, like zero instruction from from adults because there's none there. And then you're in charge of your food. Your food, they've got these coolers, and you cook the the kids. Like we, there were no, the adults didn't cook the food. The kids did everything. And I'm talking about kids as high school is the oldest, mm-hmm. not even college. So. Kids did everything. So I, I so kind do you of think the other parents that were there with us that weekend also had similar experiences. Probably, probably. And through the army, like everyone does a, a kitchen rotation in the army. doesn't matter. Even as a, 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 a sergeant, like uh, so you do kitchen rotations. Yeah. Cause if you're, yeah, it's just something that. Yeah. So like, so but like, like you said, it was seamless. Like we just, everyone just picked something up and yeah. started working. And everyone works. This is what needs to be done. Like yeah. no one's waiting for instructions. Everyone's like, this is what needs to be done. Okay. You're doing this. You're doing this. Okay. No one's doing this. I guess I'll do this, you know? And then the second morning you surprised everybody. Yeah. So you're in the kitchen. You're like, one, two, three, four. Okay. Who wants any dietary wants restrictions? Yeah. Dietary. You started making eggs. You started making this. You started 
cutting up bread. You made everyone like a breakfast sandwich, essentially. A croissant. A, a croissant. Well, croissants. <laughs> Those are breakfast croissants. No, oh, they were so good. Yeah. Everyone can. You always had a pot of coffee going. Right. Turkish coffee. Yes. That was. Uh, that, that's from the army. Yeah. That was a. That was a fun little odd job that we shared together. Yeah. Let's shift into takeaways as a business owner. So the way that Itai described it, you guys started a moving company and then an HVAC company. And what you're doing now structurally is like a divide and conquer where you're overseeing the moving company. He's overseeing the HVAC company. What's your side of the story? Sort of. What's your side of of the story? So first of all, you're calling me a wayfinder. I mean, you're Mr. Wayfinder with EOS with us. Like we've, you know, we've joined EOS um, to restructure, reorganize. But um, so before you move on from that, what is EOS? EOS is entrepreneurial. It's hard word to say. Entrepreneurial I can't say operating system. <laughs> um, in two sentences, it's a way to reorganize and restructure your business to run more efficiently, so that each person has uh, measurables that they that they that they judge themselves and the group judges every week. We know that we're, it's, a, it's a way to prioritize what's important for us uh, in our business and to, to maintain focus and to maintain organization. Um, and Chaim is the one who, uh, I don't know, did you bring Shelly yes. uh, originally? Yeah. So, so we, 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 as an organ, MDL group, when I came here 10 years ago, it was a 24-year-old company already. Yeah, And when we came here, we were really revamping one side of the business, which was the the sales and leasing side. The management side was already fantastic. Now in us coming here and providing additional like human resource support, I would say to Carol, one of the co-founders, meaning me, I took over a portion of the company that she was responsible. She was running like both sides of the house. Mm-hmm. I took one, she took one. And in doing that over the last 10 years, we've grown from 5.2 million square feet of management to 12. And our brokers, there were seven when I came here. Of those original seven, there's only one still here for all sorts of various reasons. Sure. You know, not, none really bad, just natural. Retirement, whatever. Exactly. Uh, and we have, so the original one plus another 12. Okay. And we found ourselves three, four years ago at this another um, inflection point where we needed something to bring us all to the same page. You could have asked us pre, pre-EOS, what's the vision for the company? Every one of us would have given you a different answer. Yeah. Because we all, as people, we have our own worldview. We have our own biases. We have our own processing speeds. We have our own lenses that we see the world through. So Carol, my partner, is an operations and people, expert's not the right word, genius, I would say. She has like God-given gifts in those areas. I have gifts in those areas, but not to the extent that she does. I have gone through this world in both sales and marketing. So that's how I see things. You tell me, hey, here's this thing. I'm going to look at it with my bias to sales and marketing. She will look at it with her bias to people and operations. And when two people come together and they're aligned in their vision and they have different strengths that they bring to the table, really magical thing happen. Magical things happen. Right. When they come together and they're in conflict because one is putting tension on the other and they're not rowing in the same direction, not good things happen. 
I'm not saying we were there, but we were certainly at a point where if you want to go grow the company, we have to have agreement, collective consensus agreement, where and how are we going to grow? And so through a series of things, we landed on this thing called EOS. That was our mechanism, our vehicle to all of us come together and go through, okay, well, what's your vision for the company? Here's what I see. Cool. How about you? Because there's four partners. How about you? This is what I see. Well, what do you see? Here's what I see. And through a facilitator, you get all of that out on the table. You come up with agreements. You have a vision. And it takes you through what's your 10-year target at a very high level. Your three-year picture breaks it down. And then your one-year plan. And then the one-year plan can be pushed into your organization. One of the things, and I actually just sent it to somebody this morning, a friend of mine. There's an exercise they take you through where it's not an org chart for your organization. It's an accountability chart. Okay. And the accountability chart is different in that every person has to be accountable for a seat. And when we first started this, it's, well, who runs the company? Mm-hmm. Well, Carol and Hyam run the company. Well, who runs it more? No, no, we don't. We run it together. Right. But at the end of the day, who is the most accountable? Well, then you break those down even further. And so with EOS, they say that every company has to have a visionary, an integrator, and then the generic um, departments of a company are sales and marketing, operation, finance, and accounting. So we started there. Well, if you look at Carol and I, again, I am more naturally a visionary. She is more naturally an integrator. So it starts to answer those questions. And we actually didn't organize ourselves, you know, with a hierarchy on that part. It was a lateral. We can co-run the company, but as we're running it, I am the visionary, you are the integrator. And that's a discussion we had where we both acknowledged this is true. She would say, I'm not a visionary. And I'd say, I can integrate, but that's not my sweet spot. Right. So that's one agreement. Well, who's finance and accounting? Well, we have department heads. So when we start populating it, and all of a sudden you have a map of your organization with every single person, every single seat, who's accountable for what, and then it you take it a step further, it's like a tool to say, all right, well, if we want to grow by X, what are the people that we need to achieve that? And right person, right a, seat. A hiring map, and it's, do we have the right people in the right seat kind of a thing? Right. So that's where EOS came from, came from for us, and we interviewed a few facilitators. This is like a thing where you can probably go on Google and find EOS facilitators, and there's several... And you interview them and you get the right fit for you from a lot of different standpoints, like personality, mm-hmm. um, business acumen, that kind of a thing. And so we landed on Shelly and then we, I brought Shelly to a community event to be a speaker. And that's when you guys met her, right? Yes. How's that for a long story? So, well, first of all, you explained it way more elegantly than I did, what EOS is. That's just one section of it. I know. That's, yeah. it, it, it goes away. I mean, we've been doing this for a year and a half, almost, yeah, about a year and a half. Um, we were at a point where we felt like we hit a ceiling. I was like, okay, like I can't get this moving company to grow in Vegas. Like we're, we've, we're hit a ceiling. We're at like five or six teams, you know, doing X amount of jobs a month. And it's just like, I'm too bogged down. Like I personally just cannot manage more than five teams. Like it's just, uh, you know, cause I was at a point where I was so involved in it. Okay. So we tie, so we were asking who does what? Um, by, by the way, I, I, in the, in the company, I feel like in, in EOS, it's like he ties way more of an integrator. I'm way more, more of a visionary. 
Uh, Itai is all about like EOS. Let's do these L10s. Let's do the meetings. Uh, no that tangent. No stop. Get that's not a you know that's not a to do. That's an issue. Don't we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Um. um <clears throat> so. We have the moving company, we have the real estate, we have the the HVAC company. Itai is, you know, just like you you talked about yourself and your partner, Carol, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, each person has a strength and weaknesses. If we were both really good at the same thing and both really bad at the same thing, there would be a big problem. Like it wouldn't be, it just wouldn't be a good partnership. We could, we wouldn't supplement each other's strength and weaknesses very well. I am, like I said before, I, I have a, I'm very analytical. I like to see like, almost like an engineer, right? Or I see moving parts. I'm like, no, this is not working mm-hmm. correctly. Let me fix it. Let me tweak this. Let me work on it. Let me do that. And he taught, I, I know I'm, I'm very, not not OCD, but like borderline, like right, you know, almost there. You are or he is? I am, I am. You are. I am. Uh, Itai is a little bit more disorganized. Um, and, and, and he'll, I'm not bagging on, he'll tell you this to his face, like uh, to your face. He'll admit it. Um, but, um, Itai is better managing people. Like, he's way better at it. Like, I don't have patience for people. I don't. <laughs> you know, I don't have patience. I, I don't like the dance, right? So, like, if someone would call me and say, the situation is X, and I'm like, no, the situation is Y, right? We're going to meet in the middle. Like, we, it's, it's already, like, in my mind, it's a foregone conclusion. We just got to do the dance to get there, and I don't have time for the dance, you know? It's like, let's just get there and... I don't, I don't, I don't have the patience That's for this. So funny, because <laughs> we both know where we're going to end up. Like if uh, and, and there's a negotiation, like time, you, you want to sell me something, I want to buy it from you. You want, uh, we both know where we're going to end up. We, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. But it's like we got to go through these steps to get there, and I, I just don't have that patience. He ties fine with it. He has no problem with it. He enjoys it. He likes. I don't know if he enjoys it, but he's good at it, and he's fine with it. He, it doesn't. It upsets me. <laughs> I, I just don't. I get angry. Um, so he's, so he's, he is in charge of sales and marketing. Um, he's in charge of the sales room, in charge of the sales people, uh, the marketing, so on and so forth. And for both companies, for the HVAC and the moving company, I deal with everything else for the moving company, whether it's customer service or, or so, again, that's a, a contradiction with, I don't like people, but I manage the con- I manage the customer service department. I don't do customer service. Um, customer service, logistics, dispatching, um, you know, HR, all that. I, I handle basically everything else. So the moving company ties in charge of uh, sales and marketing. And on the HVAC side, uh, he does sales and marketing as well. And we have two more partners who they deal with all the operations, the tech training, the, the you know, the management, the installation, all, all that stuff that they handled that. So I almost don't deal with the uh, HVAC company almost at all. As far as day-to-day, uh, we still have our L10s, we still have our weekly meetings, and I still contribute as far as um, business direction, like, hey, as a business, mm-hmm. but I don't get in, I, I, I can't get involved in the day-to-day because I don't know enough about it. Um, that's why we have the other partners. Um so that's that that's how how we separate it and that's why that's why our partnership works too cuz we're we're both like I'm we don't step on each other's toes cuz he knows where I'm where I have my strengths and I know where he has his strengths and I just let him do his thing 
He lets me do my thing. But again, with EOS, we were all held accountable. Like, okay, this is your department. These are the five things that we need to check on every week. Is everything being done? Yes, great. You know? Nice. And so 100 employees. Right, yes. That seems like a business benchmark. Back to EOS. So I was, I felt like I, we, I hit a ceiling, right? So I had like five moving crews in Vegas, maybe six. So you're talking 20 movers plus office staff. And I just couldn't, because at the time I was, I knew all the movers' names, their family history, how many children they have. I, you know, I was there basically their mom and dad in, in the company. We didn't have an HR department. It was me. I was ever, you know. Um, and we sat down. And we're like, listen, we if we want to break through the ceiling, we gotta we gotta do something drastic. We gotta change. We gotta do all this hiring. We gotta we gotta figure it out to free me to do more things to bring in more business to grow. So we were looking for uh, not quite. It was literally perfect, perfect, right time, right place. Um, when Shelly came in, because we were kind of looking for like a business mentorship. I had spoken to you a couple times. I know that you were doing Vistage at the time. I was considering maybe joining that, something with like a, a business mentoring group or something that I would, because like I mentioned, you know, in the beginning, I never went to college. I didn't, I don't have a business degree. I never, it's all trial and error, you know. Uh, Stubbing your toe. Stub. <laughs> many times, many times. You know, people complain about about college debt, but I could tell you that I <laughs> wasted way more money over the last 14 years making dumb errors that, you know, probably I would, if I had gotten an education and learned how to do it right, it probably wouldn't have made these mistakes. It wouldn't have been as fun, though. It definitely would not, not have been as you. fun. Well, I don't know. I hear college here is very fun. In that, in that kind <laughs> of a way, yes. Um, so we were looking – I was. we were on the in, – in, we were on the prowl in the market for a business mentor, and then we came to the thing it was by chance. And then Shelly spoke up anytime, and I'm like, "Listen, this is interesting. Let's let's hear what she has to say." So we had uh, we had an interview with her. We did our first consultation, and you know, the last year and a half has been big. We've 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 done we've done a lot um, as far as. Being more organized, you know. Now we have, we we've grown a lot. I, there's no way I could have managed 100 people with the structure that I was before. There's just no way you can't you can't do it. Um. Now, but there's there's trade offs. Now I'm much less involved with. But that's a natural thing, you know. I I walk into the warehouse and I see you know 30 movers. I know 70 percent of them, whereas before I knew all of them intimately. Um. Now I'm more management, uh, office. Uh, oh man, you're the suit. I, I'm. I'm not. I never wear a suit, but yeah, I'm the. Uh, I guess you you could call the suit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling because one of our one of our big things. Um, it, it, it it's. I like again. I like to see things that work, and when I see that our everything's working smoothly and we've built a well-oiled, I get satisfaction from seeing that it's a well-oiled machine. And I really don't, I could technically leave for a month and a half and come back and everything would be fine. Whereas a year and a half ago or before, you know, there's like no way mm -hmm. the, the, the building would be on fire, you know? Um, 
Yeah, so that's that, a good, that, that's that, a good that, feeling. Yeah, it, it, it brings me satisfaction to know that it, you know everything's yeah. good and that we provide. It, it's important for Itai and I that also that we provide good, well-paying jobs for our workers. Um, you know, one of the things after you, we you know we, we started providing health insurance to our you know, and, and again, this isn't you know. These are movers, you know, it's very blue collar. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them don't have any certification, higher education, anything like that. It's just, you know, normal people. Um, we pay very well industry-wise uh, as far as the standard. We were able to provide uh, health insurance, PTO, all kinds of things for our employees. And it's nice. They appreciate it. It's nice that, listen, again, it's a it's a tight labor market they can go work at any moving company. You know, there's, you know, 30 moving companies here in Vegas. Why are they working for me? Because I like to think that we provide a, a good, uh, a good work environment for them and that they have fun. That's actually one of our three core values is have fun. So I was going to say, they're probably working for you because of the in-office barbecues. <laughs> we, we do, we do them. We do do potlucks once in a while. And whenever we do potlucks, I always bring the smoker out and, and, and make a brisket or some ribs or something. Let's shift to um, building a community. That's something you said earlier that at this point in your life, you're interested in building a community. How do you think about that? You had mentioned uh, in the 80s when you moved here, there wasn't really a big Israeli community. Now there is quite a large community, but even within that community, it's not, it's not a monolith, right? It's not a block of people. They're, they're all different. But you can really divide the Israeli community, I think, into two. Those who are here for a stint, you know, Opportunity. Opportunity. But but even in the back of their heads, like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm always going to go back. Like, yeah. you know, I'm here for three or four or five years and I'm going back. Whether they're single or family. You know, a lot of people came here for like a job and their job is, you know, their contracts for five years and they're going back. So those people, really community is not, they don't really care about it. They're not here to, to put roots. You know, they're they're here to do whatever they got to do, make their money, fulfill their contract, and go back. And then there's the people who are here, like, in, that are here to stay. Uh, my, I'm one of them. I don't have any plans of going back. My, my children are here. I've been here for quite a about 75% of my life in, the, in America, not specifically Vegas. Um, and, you know, I look around, and uh, I'm like, all right, like, my kids are here. I want... I want to provide my children with like-minded friends who share their values, who share their, uh, you know, their morals and, and, and what is important for me in life. And, and the only way to do that is really to build a community because, you know, if I just drop them off somewhere and I'm not really involved and, and, and there's no community, then who knows what's going to happen. And Vegas is not the most family-friendly city in the world. I mean, I have a lot of friends here who are not of the Israeli community, just, you know, people born and raised in Vegas. It's not great, the stories they tell, <laughs> you know, growing up. Um, None of them are true, by the way. I grew up here, and I'm fine. Yeah, well, I guess it depends on the size. Uh, fine is, I think you're fine. I think you're great, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, the, you know, the jury's out. The jury's out. So no, so uh, you know, it's, it's it's like the Israel, the the scouts, the children organizations. I, you know, my our, both our kids go to Adelson. Uh, it's a private Jewish school in town, and 
especially next year. It's a sacrifice to send them there, right? I could be sending them to public school and, you know, doing other things with, with, with my money. Um, but I don't. I, I, I'm, I'm sending them to Adelson because it's important for me, that sense of community. Like, when you go to the school, and, and you can attest to this, like, when you go to the school, other than the drop-off, but when they like, have events, right, when they have, like, a Shabbat at school mm-hmm. or in the junior kindergarten when they have, like, their shows, which has come, have come back since COVID. Before COVID, they used to have it a lot more, but, like, all the parents know each other. Hey, what's going on and this and that. Oh, let's let's meet for on Saturday. Let's do play dates, the birthday parties. And when you have... So many birthday parties. So many birthday parties. Um, <laughs> you got You know, in you, fitness, you, there's this thing called two-a-days. You work out twice a day. Yeah, I wouldn't know. With birthdays. <laughs> with birthdays. Sometimes there's, there's three there's or four. Two, three or four a day. I mean, you got three kids. Sometimes there's... You this one has conquer two. with your oh, wife. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always that negotiation with a, hey... Do we really like this child enough to go to their birthday right No, now? not that. Not that. I'm not... That does... Not that it's more like, you know, like Ava, right? Our middle child will get invited, and it's like you like you call the other parent. Hey, is it all right if I bring the younger sibling or the older sibling? It's like, yeah. Sometimes it's no, sometimes it's yeah. But there's always this juggle. Like how there's only two parents, there's three kids. How do we get them everywhere they need to go? As we're getting older, it's more of a no. When they were younger, it was like yeah, bring as many as you want. It's like a you know, it's an indoor play place. Who cares, right? Yeah. But now Now it's expensive. Now it's expensive. (laughs) The kids are getting older. Now there's also starting to be drop-offs where you, you don't have to, the parent doesn't have to stay for the birthdays, which is fun. But back to the community thing, it, it's not really for me. Obviously, it's it's fine. You know, I have a lot of friends in the community and I've really, you know, my friends are in the community. Uh, but it, it really is more for the kids to make sure that they have, you know, that's really like what we're here for. And I, I know you don't come here and bust your butt to work for yourself. You're, you're here to build a future for your children. And, as a parent, that's what we do, and community is a is a huge part of that. Yep. Perfect segue to the to the second to last thing. Here. Okay. And you talked about it at the beginning, and we're we're there right now. Anyway, uh, you and your values as a family man, your wife, your three kids, but also you're a little unique in that you're you're close with your siblings. You have a different, a layered relationship with your parents and that they're also business partners. But what sort of things do you do to keep a balance between all the professional and the family? You mean to, to, to separate like this? What do you mean? How do you keep it all balanced? How do you keep it all managed? How do you ensure that you're spending the kind of time you want to spend in all the buckets? So, is is a separate thing something we need to talk about? Like, no. Well, I, I don't know if that. I mean, I, I, I don't think that your your siblings and their family are too. Uh, no, 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 no. I thought you meant <laughs> too like close. No, no, no. I thought you got to keep some separation. I thought you were asking about like how like me and Tyre brothers uh, at the end of the day, like if we have a fight at the office, like are we still cool afterwards? You know, that's not what I was asking. But okay, but do you, do you guys fight at the office? Uh, I don't get that sense. I feel like you guys... no, no. My dad, when well, my dad was much more involved in the business, you would fight um, with your dad. We would have arguments with my father because he would be more. <laughs> he's very old school, you know. He's Israeli. I, I don't have to explain to you. I know what that the means. mentality. 
Uh, and we're trying to be more, more, more modern, bring more technology, just be Americanized. Americanized, yes. And there's always that clash. But even these terms, you, these terms, by the way, or it's like these are cultural things in a way. Yeah. Uh, Middle Eastern culture, it's a tougher culture, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, it's more direct. Um, what you talked about, you know, not doing the dance in a way. So I, I tell this story like. My cousin was visiting once years ago. I hadn't seen her in a long time. I went to one of the casinos to see her. She was at a restaurant with her friends. I walk up. She looks at me. First thing she says is, wow, echi shmanta. <laughs> Which translates to, wow, you gained weight. <laughs> and that's the greeting. It wasn't a greeting, so to speak, but it's, it's that's what's on her mind. Like, that's correct. her reaction. There's no you know? shame. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah. And she didn't say it to be offensive. Yeah. And she didn't say... It's just it's, a matter of fact. That's the kind of a thing where it's like, it's a very direct thing. Yeah. Growing up, my dad would is very Israeli in that way and just says what's on his mind yeah. to whomever. Yeah. Because that's the culture. And again, he's not trying to berate or offend or whatever. That's just how it is. Yeah. So that's one example of being Israeli. It's just very direct. Very direct. No shame. And there's no taking no for an answer, but like, like I always used to make fun of my dad. Um, like I'd always say, "Dad, if you're bored, just go to a car dealership and pretend you're buying a car. <laughs> just go talk. Just go it's entertaining. It's right? entertaining. Like he loves it. He loves it. Yeah. He's and like the Americanized part. Go, going back to what you said earlier. Not to sorry, I interrupted you, but I'm the same way. It's like the last thing I want to do is go to a car dealership <laughs> and do that stupid thing, knowing yeah. where. I Googled it. Yeah. I know what you're going to sell me the car for. <laughs> I know what you're doing when you take the piece of paper and you go in the sales manager's office and you come back and it's a new piece of paper so that I can't see where we started, where we're at now, where we're going to. I know. Yeah. I know that. I know. It. I watched a whole YouTube video on what you're doing. <laughs> Why do it? Yeah. But it's fine. Oh, my dad loves that. He stuff. loves it. He lives for it. He, li- yeah. like, he loves it. He loves yeah. it. I'm like, I, uh, so yeah. So when my dad was more, it's, and I don't, I don't, it is very Israeli, but it is also like American old school versus new school. It's just a different That's generation. True, yeah. You know, it's just a different generation. It's like, so we would have a lot of, 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 uh, you know, headbutting in the office, but it would never affect our, our, our personal family. We would always like make sure like, Hey, if we're going to fight right now. Let's fight. <laughs> no, but we were like, we were like preface it, preface, preface. Yeah. Preface, preface. No, you got it right. We would give the introduction like, okay, dad, <laughs> we're about to have an argument right now. It is what it is gonna you know it's gonna be a very uncomfortable hour and a half but then after that you know we're gonna go to shabbat dinner and everything will be fine um but no but in terms of balancing um i try to it's a lot of buckets you're right how do you make sure every bucket is filled um i make sure that i nathan for example likes soccer i take him to soccer practice and i go to his games um you know, Gabriel's still a little too young for for hobbies, but like, but Ella does did uh, dance theater. I'd go to all her shows. I would drop her off sometimes. Um, try to be very involved. Um, Saturdays and weekends are for the family. I usually don't make plans on the weekends, um, and if I do, it's family plans. Like as a family, let's go wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, for personal enjoyment. Uh, as, as you mentioned before, I, I do like like to smoke. I, I like to use my smoker, and I like to that's play a better poker. way to say it. Actually, what I like to use my and not, smoker. I like to smoke. 
<laughs> I was uh, I was president of NAOP last year. Yeah. And at the the final like luncheon where I hand the gavel over the new president, it's customary like you give the gift to the previous to the past president. Okay. And he tells a room full of 200 people. One of the things Hayam likes to do is sit in his backyard and smoke. <laughs> and I got texts and calls after. He didn't explain it? He, that's how he finished? He ended the... He explained... Not very well. Not very clearly. <laughs> he knew... He, he didn't think he was saying anything out of bounds because in his mind, he just... It's clear, very clear. He yeah. likes to smoke, whatever. So what he gave me was like a, a basket with like cellophane and stuff inside. Yeah. And the stuff inside was like barbecue stuff. Yeah. It was like a big knife, <laughs> those little thermometer deals that go yeah. into uh, like a whatever, meter, an apron. Yeah. Meters. Yeah. Uh, apron. And so in his mind, like it was very clear. He yeah. likes to smoke brisket and ribs and those kinds of things. But I'm getting people that come up to me after like, oh, so what kind of flower are you flowers or tinctures? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, and I got a text. Did, did I hear what he, what I heard? Like, what I think I heard, like you're in a weed. I'm like, no, not weed. Smoking meats. <laughs> so to say like, I like to use my smoker. Yeah. I'm going to. like to cook on my smoker. Yeah. I like to cook on my smoker. That's good coaching. You just yeah. gave me. Stop, stop <laughs> saying I like to smoke. Um, I do that and I like to play poker. Um, nothing serious, like, like not, not big stakes or anything just to go clear my head sometimes. Um, but actually like the, so you can attest to this, the, like for personal enjoyment, like cooking on the smoker is fun because it, uh, it's, first of all, it's an activity. It takes a long time. Uh, it, it, it clears your head. You can drink some beers, you can have fun, but then you also share it and enjoy it with all your friends which is the biggest part, right? Yeah. So I'll spend an entire night or day cooking a brisket for 10, 12 hours, but then I have, you know, 20 people in my house coming to enjoy it and it's like that that's fun for me. Yeah. Um there's a payoff there's for the, the work and the time. Yeah, 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 definitely. Like I I enjoy hosting people, I enjoy watching people enjoy what I've cooked for them and, and made for them. Um I always try, you know, we, my, my wife and I try and spend at least one night every other week or so out. Um, either just me and her or on a double date with some friends, but just like, you know, husband, but wife time. Um, we do Shabbats every Friday, every Friday we do. Uh, so for those who are not Jewish, you know, Jews, uh, Jewish people, like we're, we're, you know, Catholics would have a Sunday breakfast, I think they have. It's uh, the Sabbath. Yeah. Equivalent to the Sabbath, but for... Jews, it's it's sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and I think it's every Friday night we Sunday have for Catholics, or, Catholics or Christians, yeah. or I, I don't know. God forgive us for not knowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, every Friday we have a we have a big family dinner. It's funny every time I've invited like non Jews to like a Friday night dinner, they're like, "Wow, this is like Thanksgiving, and you do this every week." <laughs> <laughs> they're like shocked. They're like, yeah, we do this every week, every Friday. It's a bit, it's not a family dinner. It's a, it's an extended family dinner every Friday night. Um, we'll either do it at my parents' house or like, we'll either do it with my family or Daniela's family or friends, but it's a big 20 person dinner every Friday night. Um, we do the prayers. We bless, we, we do the, we bless the wine, we bless the, the bread. Uh, you know, our kids, now that they go to Jewish school, they, they participate in the blessings, which is fun. 
That, and is, I, that is a cool part. It is a cool part. You know, I always, when we, when I do the main blessing over the wine and everything, but then when we get to the, uh, the chala, I call the boys over and the boys do the, yeah. the mozi. My daughter does the candles. Um, and we're not religious by, you know, we're not religious by any means. We're, we, but we do observe the holidays and the, you know, the traditions for the most yeah. part. Cool. Final question. Yeah. What advice would you give to anyone listening who's trying to go from Minnesota, that part of your life, <laughs> to where you are now? Business-wise. Like, uh, as far Life-wise, as- business-wise. So let me ask it a different one. What advice would you give your 24-year-old self when you're fumbling around trying to Buy figure Bitcoin. out? Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> If I could find Still, my 24, 24 year old advice is by oh back then back then what about now two, now no now no <laughs> but if I could find myself in two thousand and five or eight I'd say everything every sell a liver <laughs> and buy Bitcoin <laughs> um, take it slow would be the biggest advice that I uh, you know um, there's no rush. Because you always feel like you're in a rush, right? But there, there really isn't a rush. We're both young, um, you know, late thirties. But there's, 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 there, and opportunities will always present themselves again, right? You'll never miss like, oh, that was a life changing opportunity. Okay, maybe another one will pop up in th- in a year or two. You're in no rush. Like, w- what your end goal is to be, you know financially stable and self sufficient and and retire by age 60 you've got 20 years to you know so, there there's there's no rush or like or like one of the biggest things was also when you open a business you're in a cash flow crunch as a business obviously and but you have to take it slow if you want something to last you got to take it slow so and so if you're in the service industry, for example, any kind of service industry, I even consider moving a service industry, restaurant service industry, any kind of real estate, right? I mean, you, you, you'll probably be able to attest to what I'm about to say. Like in the beginning, you're strapped for cash always and just embrace it and accept it that that's what's going to happen for the first couple of years. Because if you try to make a, a lot of money in the first couple of years, you're going to deviate into directions that you don't want to, that are not good long-term. Um, be honest, provide a valuable service, work with integrity. Don't worry about the money. Cause if you do that and sustain it and you stick to that for years, like the money will eventually just come. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, I'm sure in your industry, there's a lot of shitty brokers that, you know, they, 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 screw over the wrong person one too many times and that's it. They're done. Right. And same with the moving industry. You get a bad name in this town. It's a small town. This is a very small town. You get a bad name in, in whatever and, and you're done. Um, moving company, a lot of moving companies, you know, they, they change their name every two or three years. Hmm. I'm proud of having, you know, we've had the same name since we opened 14 years now, almost 15. Um, just provide a valuable service, work with integrity and honesty and, and stick to that and again embrace the suck like they say embrace the suck for the first couple of years it's going to suck but then if you do it right and you and you work hard and you persist and the money will just it'll, it'll come that's just the way things work in my that I've seen things just start snowballing and then 
Like it just one thing leads to another, right? I never thought I'd open a, uh, I'd have an, an HVAC company. It just one thing leads to another, one step in front of the other, and like a wayfinder, like a wayfinder, exactly. What? I, we, clo- <laughs> we, we closed the loop. Um, yeah, that's the biggest. That's the the one advice I would say. Awesome. Final final question. Yes. As I'm about, ba- I'm about to move back into my house. Okay. And I'm about ba- about to have access Saturday, to my smoker right? again. Okay. What should be my first cook? Have you made beef cheeks yet? No. You should make beef cheek tacos. <laughs> they are so good. This I was not expecting. You should make beef cheek beef tacos. Beef cheek tacos. Yeah. The butcher block has beef cheek if you call them up. I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will. Tom, thank you for being here. Thank you All for right. doing this. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.